Mac Power Users, episode 288, MPU Live for uh, November 7th, 2015. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside my pal, David Sparks. Hey, David. Katie, I can rock the air guitar on that theme. <laughs> yeah. I Gosh, was just I, nailing it. I almost forgot we have moved into the month of November already. I, I can't know. believe this year is almost over. I know. November is like a, it's like the, the prelude to, to craziness. Yeah, it's it's all it's it's all downhill from here. But uh, we got a lot of bumps along the road before we get there. We've we've got Thanksgiving. We got the holidays. Uh, you and I are about to to meet in person on my turf. Um, I'm looking forward to in that. Just a so couple much. of days. Yeah, I mean, so we usually you meet over here in the land of fruits and nuts in California, and and I'm going to your turf where there's crocodiles and alligators that might eat me mainly alligators, but yes. And, and, and lots of bugs that might eat you yeah. for sure. Okay. So, and we, so, so we have a couple things related to that or we actually do. do we? Well, kind of, it's, yeah, a, we it's, do. A, it's a little late now, but yeah, we are doing this, uh, MPU meetup. I, I guess if no, you know, it is probably, it, it may not be too late, but we are doing an MPU meetup, uh, this Saturday. It's going to be, I guess that's Saturday the 14th at uh, 2 o'clock. We'll have details on the show notes for people who who want to attend. Um, and you can also grab your MPU t-shirts. These are the final few days of our Teespring campaign. So if you go to teespring.com slash MPU, uh, make sure you grab your t-shirts for your holiday gift giving because everybody needs a MPU t-shirt, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that if... Um, if, you, if you can't think of a good gift for your family member, you know, like you know, maybe your grandma or, um, uh, you know, maybe your uncle, you should just give them a Mac power user t-shirt. My uncle's getting a Mac power user t-shirt. Especially if they use PCs because, you know, it's kind (laughs) of ironic and, and it's just a nice way to get them, you know, going towards the light. So yeah, get get a t-shirt. They're beautiful too. I really like them. Katie's color is kicking my colors, butt, but That's okay. As it should be. Um, And then the last announcement that we have is because December is crazy month for us, uh, we do have a slight schedule change and that uh, normally MPU Live is the first Saturday of the month. Uh, Next month, we're going to be doing it as special time. It's going to be on Tuesday, December 1st, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Um, I'm kind of interested to see what the uh, what the date and time change will do in terms of will people like that? Will attendance be up? Um, so we'll try it out Tuesday, December 1st at 6 p.m. Eastern. We'll make a change of that on the Mac Power Users calendar or the Relay calendar over at Relay.fm slash schedule. And keep in mind, you can also grab that Relay app that will give you notifications of, of when we're online and, and when we're streaming. Amen. Okay, um, let's get started. We got a great live show today. We've got a bunch of feedback from the last month, uh, starting with a special guest. Yeah, so I do want to welcome to Mac Power Users, uh, Crystal Allen. Is it Harahill? Am I pronouncing that last name correctly? Yes, it is. It's Alan Harahill. Welcome. Welcome. Now, Crystal, you reached out to us because we have been talking quite a bit about virtual assistants. And you reached out and said, hey, I know a little bit about virtual assistants. I am a virtual assistant. You actually run a consulting business for virtual assistants. And you've got a lot of information to share about this industry and for people who might be interested in using virtual assistants. 
Yes, I do. Uh, I am self-employed as a virtual assistant, have been for a couple of years now, and I love what I do. And hopefully I can provide some insight today to um, yourself and any listeners who are curious about going this route. So how did you decide? I mean, you you saw this shift coming, it sounds like a, a couple of years ago, that this this might be a, a career opportunity for you. What, what made you see the light that, that this might be a movie you could make? Well, you know, I feel like most small business owners and professionals, they're amazing in their craft, but some of those small administrative tasks that need to be done, um, they don't necessarily have time to do it, or it's not really part of their skill set, and their time could be better used elsewhere. And so I figured this would be a great opportunity to use some of my um, skills in being detail-oriented and just loving to help others and help them make the most of their business and help them grow their business so they can actually go out and market themselves and do what they do best. Awesome. So how have you seen the rise of of virtual assistants? Is this something that people are starting to grasp the concept of? Because it, it seems like it's really taken off just in the last year or so. From our perspective, are we lagging behind on this trend? No, Katie, I agree with that. There are people who I meet and they ask what I do. And sometimes I tell them I'm a virtual assistant and I get a strange look. Um, But more and more, I would say recently, uh, people are understanding what that means and how it can benefit them in their business. I mean, it seems like as as the world is getting much more virtual in general, um, uh, I have clients that are on the other side of the country and I don't see them often. So we do everything electronically. Uh, that it makes sense that, you know, you can offload some of your work to somebody to help you that's not necessarily in the office with you. But uh, I think one of the challenges, I know I'm facing it because I'm thinking about this as well in my own business, is how do you decide what kind of work you give to a virtual assistant and, you know, what makes sense? I think that's a really good question. I think it's important to keep in mind that when you are in the process of selecting a virtual assistant, one size does not fit all. So it's really important to interview uh, the potential um, assistant and see not only if there is that competency level, but also make sure that they have the proper tools um, that are needed to help your business succeed. So for example, if they need to have three monitors going on and Photoshop and some other programs uh, that they are, you know, efficient in, make sure that that's a part of your interview process. Please, you know, it's important not to assume that because they're a virtual assistant and they pretty much have their own office set up, that they are prepared to support you completely in your needs. Um, Go ahead. I've always felt, Crystal, that I have a bit of an advantage over my competition, um, both in my Max Sparky books and also my, my legal stuff that I'm very technically savvy and Mm -hmm. I can bring that to bear to solve a lot of problems for me. Like I can have Hazel do things automatically where someone might pay someone to, to file documents. I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would assume also that a a high percentage of the people that are using virtual assistants right now are kind of geeky already, because it seems to me like you've got to have a certain degree of competence to work virtually with somebody else. You know what? That is true. But on the other side of that, I personally have had experience with two clients over the last year who I honestly made that mistake in thinking that they were pretty, you know, at least computer savvy, if nothing else. But in the early process of working together, I figured out that they really weren't. And so they were looking for um, someone to help them because they were completely almost illiterate when it came to computer skills. And so um, I have seen that I have worked with that other spectrum of clients. 
How how so, can you determine whether a virtual assistant is going to have the skills you need and is going to be a good fit? Because I know when we're hiring, you know, real, I, I shouldn't say real life assistants because virtual assistants are real people, um, but <laughs> assistants who are going to work in our office, um, who are going to be employees, you know, it can be hard enough to determine when you're sitting face to face with someone in an interview, whether this person is going to be a good fit, whether they're going to have the skills that you need, um, whether they're ultimately going to, to be able to help you with what you need to get your job done. I would imagine that that interview process can be a lot more difficult when you don't have the benefit of of sitting across the table from that person and and going through a more formal interview process. That is true. The benefit I, I have some clients who are not in town. Um, I have about five clients out of out of my borders, but the clients who are within uh, my city, I make it a point actually to meet with them in person for the initial consultation. Um, and it's really important for you to call references. There are a lot of aspects of hiring a virtual assistant that are the same as if you were hiring someone to sit in your office space. So you want to make t- make sure that you're taking the time to request those um, references of their current clients or previous clients and make sure that you're making those calls um, and asking those important questions to help you determine if it's a a good match. In addition to, um, you know, asking the assistant what type of resources and tools that they have at their disposal. And I would imagine some of it is just making sure not only is there a personality fit and actually on that point, the personality fit to me wouldn't need to be as strong. I mean, when you've got someone in the office every day, Exactly. I, I used to have this thing where, at my office and um, whenever they asked me an opinion about hiring somebody, I'd say, you know, skills and competence we can teach. You know, mm-hmm. it's all about attitude. And if, if you bring one Dementor into your office, it sucks the life out of everyone. So, uh, you know, that was a big deal to me. But with the virtual assistant, I don't know if that's as big of a deal because you're not going to be around that person all the time. They're just, you know. You know, dealing with your calendar or something on your behalf. That's but, very true. But getting back to my point, um, uh, I would seem to me like the technological fit needs to be really tight, though. Like, you know, I know like a lot of these virtual assistants working Google uh, are very familiar with the Google calendar and the Google email. And they, you know, for people who run their whole lives on Google, it makes you getting a virtual assistant easier than someone like me who doesn't use the Google system. Mm hmm. Absolutely. No, it, it, there has to be a fit in regards to um, the technical aspect. And actually kind of going back to what you were saying in regards to personality, there are um, instances where you are calling clients, um, like follow-up calls, for example. And in that case, you do want to make sure that that person is personable, um, that they have good uh, phone phone skills, um, because they may be calling your clients as a follow-up um, to help you grow your business. So I think that personality, technical skills, all of that is important to look at to find the good fit. How do you follow up so much with a virtual assistant? I mean, with someone in my office, I could kind of, and eavesdrop is not the right word, but I can kind of listen in on their conversations. I can, I can listen about how they're talking with my clients and, and kind of Mm -hmm. right there cringe a little bit and go, oh, no, that's, I really wish they'd handled that differently. Or that's, that's, and, and see those as teachable moments and training points to say, okay, well, next time this issue comes up, this is how I would prefer you handle it. But with a virtual Mm -hmm. assistant, not so much. Sure, that's a good point. Um, there are tools that where you can actually check in on their screen. Um, so that is an option as well as, for example, if your assignment was to give them, um, you know, 
20 call, follow-up calls to make, you can include a test call in that where you have a colleague um, who they're thinking that they're calling as a follow-up call, but it's really a colleague who you have partnered with to help determine what their phone etiquette skills are like and making sure that they're delivering the message that you you both agreed on. Right. What what types of tasks, I mean, how do I know if I'm ready for a virtual assistant and how do I know whether the tasks that I'd like to hand off would be good tasks for to fit with a virtual assistant? I think once you get to the point where there are just those administrative tasks that you're pushing to the side on a consistent basis because you're too busy. Um, you're so busy growing your business or out or doing your craft um, that you just find yourself not having time. And it's important to keep track of those those items. So whether it's um, entering your business cards into your CRM system, creating that e-newsletter to go out every month, whatever it is, keep tr- track of what you are beginning to um, struggle to get out on a consistent basis. And so that way, when you're meeting with the potential virtual assistant, you'll have a list of items um, that you know you need to outsource to them and that you're looking for their support in. But how much does it cost? There are a couple of ways that um, you can go about it. So, for example, I'll share with you um, how I how I charge my clients. So there are some people who use me just a couple times a year um, because they just don't need my help on a consistent basis. And for that, it's hourly. And my hourly rate is $30 an hour. And then there are clients who use me on a monthly basis. And so I have them on a retainer. Um, And there are different retainer levels. Uh, My basic retainer level is $350. And that's 14 hours a month. And for those business owners who have me on that retainer, I'm actually their only support. Um, And for the most part, I actually take care of everything that they need um, in those 14 hours because virtual assistance is having someone work when you need them to work. So it is, you know, no lunch breaks, none of that other stuff, no potty breaks. It's they're taking care of the work. And when it's done, it's done. The timer stops. And well, then, and go ahead, Dave. Go ahead, Kitty. Oh, I was, was going to say, say you, <laughs> you mentioned that there were a number of, of tools that you had that you used to, to get this done. And I, I know because you reached out to us that you happen to be a Mac power user listener, which leads me to believe that, that you might be a little more Mac inclined than perhaps other virtual assistants. Um, are you solely Mac based and, and what kind of Mac tools are you are you using to help you get work done with this? You know what? I have to be completely honest. I actually use both. So when I am That's sitting um, at... <laughs> when I'm sitting at my desk, I actually have my my PC and my Mac like sitting right next to each other. And I'm literally working off of both. So with some of my clients, it's a matter of um, a sharing a calendar and sharing a reminders list. Um, and sometimes they just may put tasks on that list. Um, as the week progresses, something may come up that we didn't talk about in our in our weekly phone call meeting. And so they'll add a task on there for me to um to help them with something else for that week. But in regards to some of the, the resources that I use for my clients, I feel like it's some of the, the basic, you know, CRM systems like Salesforce, Vertical Response, um, Contactually, Constant Contact, Sprout Social. Um, Re- WeTransfer is great because it allows you to transfer large files for free. Evernote, I use Dropbox every single day throughout the entire day. Um, OneDrive, um, Evernote, 
So some of the some those are some of the resources that I use on a weekly basis with all of my clients. Now, do you do you accommodate based on what your clients are using or do you have like an onboarding process where you say this is how I've worked before? This is what we found works best. So if your client doesn't have a you know, if someone comes to you brand new, having never worked with a virtual assistant, I don't have any particular you know, I don't really care how we do this. I mean, do you do you have some kind of some best practices that you can offer them for how things can work or do you kind of adapt your system to them? How does that work? I do my best to adapt myself to the client because I'm also learning a different skill set. So, for example, when I first started doing this, I was solely working off of my PC. And then I had a client who was just an Apple Mac lover, uh, Jeff Drothler, and he introduced me to using the Mac for my business. And really, I haven't looked back since. Um, it's it's a, I have a MacBook Air that I use. Um, and so it's easy just to take with me um, on the go or just have here in my office. So I really try to adapt unless they're asking for a skill set that I just don't have any formal education in. I'll just be full disclosure and and transparent and just say, you know, that's not one of my skill sets. Um, But I really try to adapt to what they need because it's, it's a benefit to me as well because I get to learn something new. Crystal, if you're thinking, if someone is out there thinking that maybe they want to hire a virtual assistant, what are the biggest mistakes you can make and want to avoid when you're getting started in this process as as someone hiring a virtual assistant? I think thinking that because they're a virtual assistant and they're they're coming to you with a certain level of skill sets and and an office that's already set up that they don't need to be trained. Um, I have had that happen actually a couple of times where I've had to um, really just take time to reach out to the, the client and have that important conversation saying, I am here to support you. I want to help you grow your business, but there are certain things that I do need to be trained on. So that way I'm executing them the way you would like them to be done and possibly even improving upon um, because I know the foundation of what your needs are. So I think that's, that's a huge, um, I guess you could call it. Yeah. That's a huge problem that I do see is that the person is so busy that they think outsourcing this task is just, here it is and and take off with it and read my mind. Um, Just like you would have someone in your office, you still have to invest that time of training the person. And what I like to do, um, and this is good for in the unlikely case that your virtual assistant maybe no longer is one or they decide to reduce their client load or what have you, I like to keep track of everything that I'm doing and create a processes and procedures, basically handbook of what I'm doing for each of my clients. Because not only is this beneficial for them um, in the future, but if they want to eventually hire someone like a W-2 and, and no longer use a virtual assistant, they'll actually have a head start for that person. And that way the learning curve um, isn't so steep because everything that I've been doing has been tracked as a process. That's a real selling point. A, a good friend of mine uh, and a client is um, gone through this process where he's had a couple virtual assistants and they've uh, they've quit on him or they've left the agency he was with. And, and he's complaining, Hey, I've got to go retrain this. You know, it's the third time I have to train somebody. So right. if, you, if you say, well, if you hire me, I'm going to help, you know, make the manual that I'm sure that helps get you new clients. It does. It does. Um, and also I would advise anybody that's hiring a virtual assistant that you document it yourself that, I mean, we've talked about it on the, the tools here on Mac power users, you know, screencast tools, um, the, um, you Clarifying. know, and, 
yeah, clarify. There's there's a lot of tools you could have where you could automate the process to make it easier as you as you transition into this. But Crystal's actually right. I mean, you can't just hand off a problem to somebody. You got to give them the tools they need to finish it. Yes. So, um, what is the um, what is the most um, what is the most surprising type of work you've been doing for clients? You know, things that you never expected you'd be doing as a virtual assistant. You know, I have a client who's a realtor and she is a high producing realtor and I am her virtual transaction coordinator, uh, believe it or not. And that's something that I never thought would necessarily be a part of my um, of my business. But I love working with her. I love doing the work because, as you know, going through those documents, you know, you have to be pretty meticulous and really detail oriented. And that's just something I found that I really enjoy. And I never would have thought I would have worked with a realtor doing this. And then kind of the flip side of that, what are some of the more common tasks that if people are thinking, you know, I'd like to get a few things off my plate, but I don't know what would be what would be good jobs that are easy things at first to transition off to a virtual assistant and then build from there? Sure. I would say your e-newsletter. Most people try to get some type of communication out to their clients so that way they can stay on top of mind. Uh, So I would say e-newsletters, having your your virtual assistant do some uh, basic data entry to at least get you um, started with your your contact list. Those are all great things. Email scripts, um, sometimes a client just doesn't have proper follow-up tools and they just don't have time to just write out, you know, a nice thank you, thank you note or welcome to our firm or what have you. Um, I would say those are some of the basic needs that um, would be great to start off. And it's okay to start off with small things. And then as you work with someone, you get to know that person better. And then the relationship develops, meaning that more work ends up coming um, from that relationship that has been, that's growing. Well, Crystal, you are a trailblazer. You've, you know, I think that this this is only going to become a bigger thing as we go into the future. And, and thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing some of these tips, because I know a lot of people like me are out there. We're thinking about, we're a little leery of it. You know, it's something new. You're not sure what you're supposed to do. And I think these tips were really helpful. Everyone, I'd recommend you go check out Crystal's website, yourvirtualpartners.com which is a, a great place. She's got some great advice there, maybe even higher if, if, if it's the right fit for you. Um, uh, thank you, Crystal, so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Katie and David. Before we get on to the next topic, let's do take a quick break and uh, talk about our first sponsor for this episode. Uh, and that is the folks over at Braintree. Uh, so here's what Braintree does. If you're a mobile app developer, you definitely want to check out Braintree. Uh, Braintree is the payment solution that is used for companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, and many more. Uh, Braintree has the payment experience in these apps that's like seamless and magical. And now you can add that similar experience to your own app if you're an app developer. They've got excellent customer service and simple integration and Braintree gets you ready to accept payments online quickly. So Braintree has excellent customer support and they will get you paid fast. That means you'll be prepared for your company to grow as fast as you are ready for it to. Braintree is helping you solve the problem of mobile cart abandonment, offering the best in class mobile checkout experience, and they make the payment experience in some of your favorite apps seamless and magical. So if you're a developer, if you've got an app and you want to be able to accept mobile payments, but you're not quite sure how you want to implement that, you know what? Don't worry about it. Braintree has got you covered. They can take care of it. They've got 
got a full stack payment solution, payment for all sorts of payments types that you might want to take, including PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Vimeo cards, and more, all with single integration. You know what? I wish more developers would take advantage of this because I love paying with Apple Pay and not enough apps offer that. So maybe check out Braintree and see how you can integrate this in your apps. It works across all of your platforms with superior fraud protection. They take they just take care of it for you. So to learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, head over to braintreepayments.com slash MPU to get more information. So braintreepayments.com slash MPU. Thanks to Braintree for their support of the show. And you know how many transactions uber does i mean that's a lot of transactions yeah it's like it's like well i just go to these guys they got it figured out so it's like problem solved um anyway uh, i wanted to talk about uh some feedback we had from listeners concerning gifting lists because it is november and we all are starting now to do our um our holiday gift buying and Catherine asked uh, wrote and say since season gift guy is beginning how do you keep track of your gift lists do you have any favorite third-party apps to keep track of your gift ideas to keep them away from prying eyes uh katie and i have two different ways to do this so why don't you go first katie yeah well one of the things that i do is i keep a running tab in evernote of all of the people throughout the year that i typically buy gifts for and that may change but you know, mostly, mostly that list remains pretty com- constant. I have all the people that I always buy gifts for, and then a, a couple that get added throughout the year. And so I've got that running list of people. And then throughout the year, as I'm talking to them, I, I get ideas. You know, I, I had coffee with uh, my soon-to-be sister-in-law. And as we were having coffee, she mentioned a couple of things that she wanted for her house. And I was like, hmm, noted. As soon as we walked out of that coffee, I opened up Evernote and I, I started uh, listing off a couple of things that she talked about during our coffee. And uh, guess what? She may be getting a couple of those things for Christmas this year. So as soon as I have an opportunity, I keep those things in Evernote so that I'm not scratching my head around gift-giving season. Once I've narrowed down on what I'm going to get somebody, especially if it's a high-ticket item, like my brother wants a Nest this year. And Nest is a pretty high-dollar item. I'd like to get him one, but I'd also like to get a deal on it. Um, I use some of the deal services. One of my favorites is Camel, Camel, Camel which will allow you to search for deals on uh, on Amazon. So you can type in what you want and it will search for it on Amazon and then you can hit price triggers. And so you'll say, well, when a certain thing hits a certain price point, send me a notification and so you can be alerted. And so hopefully neither of them listen to this podcast and know. I'm not saying I'm getting you a nest. I'm just saying I'm thinking about it. Be yeah. good. That can't, that's a new service, right? Oh, no, Camel, Camel, Camel's before. been around forever. Oh, that, okay, because there's one before you had told me about. I, I'm not that good. I mean, when it's like, okay, I'll just buy him a nest and I'll just go buy it. I won't, I'm not smart enough to uh, have it track pricing for me. Yeah, you can uh, also use like Deal News and set up alerts on Deal News because like a nest is something that is likely going to go on sale. Someone's going to have a nest on sale this year, you know? Yeah. So, so what we do in our house is uh, we have a reminders list, you know, the iOS and Apple reminders app. And it's not a great app. I mean, I, I like for task management, it, it's completely inadequate for me. But the, the big selling point for me is that you can have shared lists. So my wife and I and my daughters have a shared list and we keep a list of everybody in the family. You know, we have a big extended family on both sides. So we're buying gifts for a lot of people. And what we do is... Um, we uh we you know we kind of have a code like we'll say john 
hyphen and then whatever, you know, REI something or whatever. And, and so we have the name of the person hyphen, then the gift we want to get and everybody can kind of add to it. And so we got, whenever you come up with an idea, you put it in the reminders list and, and if, you know, it stays on the list, somebody's there, we just buy it and then check it off the list, which works great. And then with respect to the individual family members, like my kids, I, we don't put the gifts for buying them on that list. My wife and I can track that one in our brains. And uh, the stuff I get from my wife doesn't go on the list. But, you know, otherwise, for all the extended family, one reminders list is really a great way to kind of keep track of everything if you've got a lot of people that are working on the same list. Uh, But that does raise a subject because we are getting ready to record uh, very shortly here uh, the annual Mac Power Users holiday gift episode, which is so fun and costs everybody lots of money. Uh, That's in the works. We're working on the outline. If there's something you think we should be including in this year's list, please send it in and do that ASAP. All right. Other questions. Let's see. Oh, Mike. Mike wrote in and had a question about dictation in the car. And I think this is probably right up your alley, David. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. Hi, David and Katie. This is Mike Froble. I have a question after listening to your dictation episode. Do either of you do hands-free dictation while you're in the car? If what I want to say is short, I use Ahoy Telephone, add a reminder, the thing I'm thinking about. But Sometimes I want to dictate something longer. I tend to ramble. Do you have any thoughts on how to do that? Thank you. Love the show. Yeah, I've had um, mixed results with that. So I use Dragon Dictate as I covered in that show. And Dragon has a really nice feature that lets you take a recording from a recording device or your iPhone and it will transcribe it for you. I I have not done that in the car with my iPhone, although there are some great recording apps on the iPhone because of the nature of the iPhone. There's no physical buttons. Um, so I don't know, maybe four or five years ago or longer, I bought a little Sony recorder that's just got a, a sliding button to turn it off and on to record. And I keep it in my glove box in my car. And I used to do this a lot more when I was working for the man because I had a half hour commute every day and I would I would dictate um like a lot of the field guide books text, I would think of something and I just dictate it on my way home. Um, I don't do that so much anymore. And and frankly, I've been reading studies that say, you know, when you interact with things, it really does decrease your attention on the road. So I'm trying to get, so I don't do that so much. I'll, I'll do short little things. Like I'll hit the button and say, get directions to pizza hut or something like that. But I'm trying not to do as much um, interaction while driving. Uh, but uh, that doesn't change the fact. Those little recorders are pretty nice. If you if you want to go out and just get away, uh, it's a nice it's a nice little way to get the recording done. How about you, Katie? My commute is so short now. I'm so excited yeah. about that. It's it's uh, three minutes if I um, get the light on green. I've I have one stoplight now between my house and my my office. You you yeah. have none. I know. But yeah. I have one. So if I, if I catch the light on green, it's three minutes. If I hit the light, it's five minutes. So that's nice. Yeah. I don't do much. Well, I, I, I do have an office. It's, it's six miles away. So I've got more than one light to it, but I don't go there every day. Um, but either way, uh, I do think that uh, there is good to answer Mike's question. If you, re- if you're doing a lot of dictation in a car and you're, you're comfortable doing it, you feel like you can drive and pay attention at the same time. I would recommend getting a little recorder and getting drag and dictate because it does such a good job. And with a recorder with a physical button, you don't have to take your eyes off the road. You can just click the button off and on and dictate your heart's content. And uh, it works. So, yeah. And I ahead. would endorse that solution. I have a, We have a dictation system at the office that basically uses one of those types of recorders. 
And if I'm traveling, I will take the dictaphone with me. And I, so I'll dictate on the go. And I have a mechanism where I send it back to somebody at my office, which is my version of Dragon for <laughs> to yeah. go. But, you know, you, you use the, the digital version, so that works as well. And like I said in your show, I mean, that in that show, in some ways, Katie's system is way better because... I have you a can person. Add, yeah, you can say also, you know, lick a stamp and put it in an envelope and call this person and confirm the meeting. And, you know, so you can do a lot more than just put text into a system that way. But... I wonder um, if virtual assistants would do dictation. Yeah, they, oh, they do for certain. I mean, when I was uh, at the firm, uh, we had a project going where there was a lot of briefing getting done, and I hired somebody in England, and uh, she was doing dictation for me for a couple of weeks because I was working all day, and then I would upload the dictation, then I'd go home and go to bed, and I'd come in the next day, and it'd all be done for me because, you know, she's working on the other side of the globe. Um, so it, it absolutely is possible to get someone to do that for you. Wow. All right. We got a lot of feedback on our launcher episode. That was a recent episode, last week's episode, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought that show came out good. Um, and we had heard from people that, um, like I said on the show, I use LaunchBar a lot more than Alfred. So we had some good uh, feedback on things about Alfred. We'll cover that. We also had feedback on things I screwed up. Sadly, <laughs> I screwed up a lot. But, um, but, you know, sadly, what nobody said is that I was right and you were wrong. I was right. Yeah. I well, got this part right. That's usually the case, Katie. I mean, oh. that's why, you know, it's just given. No, so I, I, in my head, Quicksilver was the first because that's the one that really landed on my radar. I never, I really never, it just for some reason, LaunchBar never was. But LaunchBar goes back to 1995. Quicksilver did not show up until 2004. Yeah. In fact, we got sent a whole history on the history of LaunchBar. Uh, LaunchBar um, in 1995 was released for internal use. 96, it worked in Next Step. Uh, 99, LaunchBar 2.0 for Rhapsody was released. In 2001, it re was released for uh, Mac OS 10.0. In yeah. 2003, Butler was released. Do you remember Butler? I don't think yeah, it's still in development. But yeah. Butler was never, to me, very useful. It was too limited. Yeah. 2004 was not until your beloved Quicksilver was released. Also yeah. in that year, Launch Bar version 4 was released. Yeah. Also, oh, I blew that one so yeah. badly. Yeah. Also in 2004, Spotlight was announced at WWDC, but was not actually released until 2005 uh, with Mac OS 10.4. Tiger. Tiger. Yeah. That's when we got it. Um, it was terrible. Remember, yeah. it was terrible in Tiger. It was so slow. 2009, Launch Bar 5 was released. 2010, Alfred version 1 was released. 2011, Alfred version 2, I'm sorry, 2013, Alfred version 2 was released. And 2014, Launch Bar version 6 was released. So, so there you have it, the full chronology. Um, the, um, uh, we also had some fun facts. Uh, the, the name of the Quicksilver developer, which I absolutely should have had when we did the show, was Nicholas Chitkoff who I believe at some point went to Google and um, and I guess he was a launch bar user before he made Quicksilver, which is why he liked the idea and made Quicksilver. And then he's the one who pushed me towards launch bar when Quicksilver started to die on the vine. Um, and then launch bar originally had the command space as its default keyboard shortcut back in 1996, years before there was a spotlight. It was spotlight that co-opted command space. Wait, you mean Apple took a feature from some third-party developer? You know, like, that's like what? the original Sherlock. Well, no, it's not the original Sherlock, but it's yeah. it's pretty close. Yeah. 
And uh, anyway, uh, so it, 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 we uh, so we missed a few things there, but I think overall the the show did a fair job of covering these apps. Uh, we did hear some from some um, Alfred users. Craig wrote in, and he uh, said he enjoyed the launcher SmackDown, but he felt like um, it, he wanted to get across some of the scripting stuff he's doing with Alfred, and some of this may be a possible launch bar too. In fact, I, I need to follow up with Craig to see exactly what he's pulling off. One of them is he uh, types in morning and it triggers a script to open up all the applications he needs when he's at work and rearranges the application windows. And I'm guessing that's an Apple script that may also be a JavaScript. I'm not sure which which he's doing. Well, you can do uh, a lot of that with with Alfred's workflows. Yeah. And you could do it with Keyboard Maestro. And there's just a lot of different places you could go do this stuff. But he's got it all down in Alfred. Um, uh, he's got one called TZ for time zone. And he says he hosts regular conference calls with people around the world and typing TZ shows a select list of countries he calls in their current time. Um, I, I'm doing that currently. I've got a little utility in the, in the um, notification center on the right side of the screen. Like I've, I don't need to do Katie's time because three, I can remember. You know, you the can do country. I've got, I've got your time though. You know, iStat menus will yeah. allow you to do a time zone. Yeah. It, it'll allow you to replace your clock with a clock that has time zones. So I've got Los Angeles, Anchorage, Alaska. I like Alaska. not. But then I've got um, London, Italy, and then UTC because relay time is UTC. I always have um, Hawaii available just uh. because I want to be there so badly. Well, Alaska and Hawaii are in the same time zone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you go to Alaska. I'll go to Hawaii. <laughs> Uh, he's got one called, uh, getting back to Craigslist, he's got one call that he found a script that allows him to dial his Cisco desk phone from his Mac, which is pretty awesome. And, um, look up is one where he has large documents. If he needs to pull a certain bit of information, like an IP address, he types IP and then the site name, and then it'll go fed, feed it back into Alfred, which will show a notification. So he's got some great stuff. Um, and, uh, I, I think the automation the whole automation push that both Alfred and LaunchBar got in the last few years has really opened things up. And with both of those applications, whichever one you like, go to the website and get some of those sample scripts, download them and start playing with them. Because you, if even if you don't want to build your own, just taking advantage of the work of others, you're really going to up the functionality of those programs. I also was really pleased to see on Twitter several of our listeners saying, OK, I'm really going to force myself to use the Alfred scripting or I'm really going to force myself to start moving files with LaunchBar on the keyboard for a couple of weeks. And I, I'm glad to see that we motivated a few people to try and get more power out of whatever launcher they're using. So that that was really pleasing for me. Right. And, you know, a feature that I completely missed, I believe it was even in the outline and I just completely skipped over it when talking about Alfred was the remote feature. And that's a companion app for Alfred. And uh, Tiffany wrote in or actually called in to tell us about it. So let's chat with Tiffany. Hello, Katie and David. This is Tiffany White. I am a computer science student at the University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and a web developer. And I wanted to talk to you today about um, Alfred app and the launcher Alfred on um, the Mac. It has a uh, companion app on iOS. It's a remote, it's Alfred remote. It's um, $5, um, but it's a great little app. Um, you can launch um, apps with it, files. Um, it comes with a few default configurations like launching iTunes, emptying trash, ejecting your disks, um, and things like that showing Alfred. But when it where it really gets powerful is if you add workflows. So there are specific workflows that you can add 
to the remote, um, you can go to Alfred Forum to look for these workflows. And um, you can also go to Peckle.org, which is another Alfred repository for workflows. Um, so I have, as a web developer, I have a little workflow called uh, Launch in Three Browsers. So if I'm building an app or a website locally, I can tap on Launch in Three Browsers. This all works over your wireless connection. So, and it uses Bonjour as well. So if I wanted to test a local uh, app or website, I can hit Launch in Three Browsers and it will open up that app or website that I'm working on in Firefox, Chrome, and Safari. Um, that's a nice little workflow. Another workflow is um, using Keynote, con controlling Keynote with uh, the Alpha Remote, unlocking your Mac with Alpha Remote. Um, it's a nifty little app. You can add different pages to it um, and add your apps and, and categorize your apps and, and URLs and files and folders that you want um, to launch. Um, it's like, like I said, it's $5 and it's a, a great little companion app for Alfred. Um, thanks for the show. Um, thanks for listening. And I look forward to hearing more from you. Yeah, that's a really good idea to have a, an iOS app. Uh, a lot of these um, automation tools on the Mac are starting to go this direction, like Better Touch Tool also has one. And I believe Keyboard Maestro has one, but I have not used that one. Yeah, um, I've used Keyboard Maestros. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking Alfred would also do what I wanted. But, uh, for example, I've got a Keyboard Maestro script that will restart iTunes on my Mac Mini home server. Because I, you know, we're going to do an Apple TV show next week. And um, one of the things that I previously used my Apple TV for, and I still do because I have multiple Apple TVs, is a home sharing on my iTunes library to watch content on my various Apple TVs. But sometimes that would get a little wonky and I'd have to restart iTunes on my Mac mini. Not so much anymore with the Plex app on Apple TV, you know, but that's, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, but I would use keyboard, I would have keyboard maestro shortcut to uh, quit iTunes, wait 10 seconds and relaunch iTunes again. Yeah. So And like, I got a better touch tool one just to to turn off my Mac and to shut the screen down. Like if I'm, cause the iMac is in the corner of the bedroom and once in a while for some random reason, it'll light up in the middle of the night and I'll push a button and take care of it from my phone. Uh, anyway, listen, um, I want to take a minute to talk about our sponsor. And if I sound wistful, it's because I'm looking lovingly at my Fujitsu scan snap right now. The, uh, the scanner that saves my bacon every day. Uh, Fujitsu has been a longtime sponsor of our show. And we really love having them as sponsors of the Mac power users because we really love the products. Um, I started buying Fujitsu scan snaps long before they were sponsor of the show because they just make the best scanner for the Mac. Uh, the iX500 is the one I prefer. It's full duplex and you can put 50 sheets in it. I got a, um, I got a thing from the bar association, a big, it's like a thousand page thing on, on corporations that I'm going to be reading. And I didn't want to carry around these books, but they were in a binder. So it was easy to take them out and I scanned them all. And it took all of about, I don't know, 30 minutes and that was with me, you know, just stopping to do it once in a while because you just put this big stack of paper in there and it would just rip through them. It does 25 pages per minute. It uses USB 3.0, so it's really fast connections. And then once it scans that in, it uses the Fujitsu software, which has optical character recognition, which is awesome. So you get the thing scanned and you've got one big file with this thing. I, I combined it and I put a table of contents using another sponsor of ours, PDF Pen. And uh, when it was done, I had this really nice PDF file that was fully OCR'd, uh, bookmarked, and and I can search it. So now when I want to search for some special provision of the 
the, the tax code or whatever, I can just type it in and it'll find it for me. And this is all done with this Fujitsu scan snap. You, you can also scan directly from your mobile device uh, to your mobile device. It's got that advanced fee- paper feeding system. So it like pings it with a radar. It's got a separation roller. So it just makes sure that it doesn't put two pages through at one time. Um, and it has a quick menu for productivity. You can save it directly to Evernote or any third party service you want. And all of this stuff just happens. I am just so happy with this scan snap. Uh, if you don't want the big one, like my X 500, they've got smaller ones like the S 1300 I, which will still fit on your desk and still has that duplex where it scans both sides at the same time, but you can put it in a drawer when you're not using it. Cause it's a little bit smaller. And if you're on the road, the IX 100 is the ultimate in portability. It scans at 300 dots per inch, 5.2 seconds for a page, and it'll fit in your glove box, briefcase, or backpack. So Fujitsu's got you covered. No matter what kind of scanner you're looking for, they've got it. They've got good software that works well on the Mac. Um, uh, everything just happens, and we're really proud to have them once again as a sponsor of the show. If you need a new scanner, go get one. Uh, we've had many uh, people buy them over the years uh, through our sponsorship, and and everybody seems to love them. They seem to multiply. You know, when you buy one, then suddenly you buy one for the secretary or buy one for downstairs or whatever. Uh, go over to www.ez.com slash SSMPU. So that's ScanSnap Mac Power Users. Once again, www.ez.com slash SSMPU. If you don't buy it through that link and you get it through uh, Amazon or whatever, just let them know on Twitter you heard about it with us and you're going to love your new scan snap. Thank you, Fujitsu. All right. We've still got more feedback to cover from uh, our various shows that we've had over the last month or so. Sergio wrote in about hiding the menu bar. He says, on a recent... MPU about optimizing your Mac, you mentioned the option to hide the dock, which is great. He says he's been doing it since Lion. But now with El Capitan, you also have the option to hide the menu bar as well. You do this in system preferences general, and there's an option to automatically hide and show the menu bar. Though this might not be for everybody, since you lose continuous visibility of the menu bar in indicators like iStat, I find it great on a 13-inch laptop where every area of the desktop you can reclaim is welcome. Yeah, we, we didn't mention that. I saw it in the settings and I immediately dismissed it because I, I do like having access to my menu bar. Yeah, I just, I just I don't, don't see a reason to turn it off. It's it's small. I, I do minimize a lot of the things on my menu bar. Like I use Bartender to get rid yeah. of all the inessential menu bar apps that I still want to have occasional access to. But it, it's an option. It's there for people who want to do it. Yeah. Hey, you ever tried dark mode? With the you know the new Macs can have this dark mode where you know it was so, it was so poorly implemented that I looked at it once and never went back. It, it's better in LCAP. I, I've been running on my laptop for about a month and I just got used to it and forgot that I'd turned it on. And um, you, you know, to the extent you just you just accept that's how it looks now, um, and it works pretty well. So I it was just for a little variety that'd be kind of fun. You should try it. Yeah. Uh, Curtis wrote in about deleting text messages and I completely forgot about this, but it's such a, it's such a duh solution. He says in MPU 282, you talked about SMS history and how it can consume a lot of storage space on an iOS device. Well, in iOS 9, you now have a setting that can ensure that things don't get out of control. If you go to settings, messages, and then scroll down to the bottom Once there, you can set the parameters for how much or how little you want to make available in storage. And this is great. And I must have known about it at some point because I had gone in and and changed my settings. So by default, I don't keep text message history any longer than 30 days. Yeah. I just don't need that. 
it makes sense. The um, uh, Bob wrote in, and he talks about using iTunes to manage his apps for iOS. Good afternoon, Dave and Katie. This is Bob Fairbairn uh, from the Chicagoland area. Uh, I'd like to send you a little comment on number 275, optimize your iPhone and iPad. Uh, I use uh, my Macintosh to back up those devices fairly regularly. And one of the things I get a little extra bang for the buck doing is I use iTunes to manage the applications on the devices. So I can add, remove applications if I want. And I can also move them around folders and adjust the home screens right from iTunes. I find that faster than doing it on the device. So hopefully that helps other people out. Uh, Keep up the podcast. We all appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. You know, we've gotten away from managing our iOS devices on the Mac now, but, you know, I forget that that's the way that it was originally done. Yeah. Well, I I still, once again, if you haven't tried the Katie Floyd system of just four folders on your home screen and get everything in there, so you've got one screen, give it a try. You like that, huh? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, the uh, We heard from Jethro, and he was talking about communication issues at work. He says he's a middle school principal in Alaska. Katie could tell you exactly what time it is right there, by the, I can, by the yes. way. Um, and Adam Lissiger was saying that, you know, how hard it is to be open and honest in communications. And he says he's got this simple, non-technical way to do it. He puts cards on his door, and the cards help people who would feel uncomfortable talking to him about things. And they can take the card to get their desired response. And when he first told me, I'm like, what? You know, but then when you look at it, it's really actually quite clever. Uh, he says it helps a lot. He says it helps more than you can believe. And um, and he has a link where he's going to we'll put in a show notes that shows these cards. And they're very clever little cards. And they say things on them. They're called communication cards. Like one says, I need to vent. And it has a picture of like a vent for an air conditioner. So it kind of gives you a starting place. So you walk in to the boss's office and you say, here's my vent card. And then say, okay, let's hear your vent. And, uh, and he's got one like uh, about a crisis in his family life or it's about the money or he wants to brag or whatever. So he's got these cards. And I thought, you know, what a nice way to help people get over that. Because, you know, there is a level between a boss and an employee that is unspoken that makes it really hard to communicate about this stuff. Well, and it also, you can be very intimidated going into your boss's office and having one of these difficult conversations. And how many times have you started it and never finished it? You know, you walk in, I'm going to go talk about this. I'm going to talk about this. And then you don't. Yeah, you you just go to the baseball game or something because you feel too intimidated by it. Right. But if you walk in and you've got one of these cards in your hand, you may get off topic for a minute or two, but they're going to say, okay, you put your, you just lay your card, you lay it all out on the table, put your cards yeah. on the table. Here yeah, you go. Exactly. Literally, literally put your cards on the table. I like yeah. it. Um, you know, people may look at you a little funny with this idea at first, but uh, you know, I, I think especially if you're a manager and you're managing a lot of people, like in his case, he's a principal at a school. I, I think it's going to work. Yeah. I like so, the idea. One of the things that Jethro has done is is he's made these available for free to Mac Power users, listeners. And, and that is awesome. So you can buy these through his Squarespace website. And he said he put code MPU that will allow you to download them for free, but Squarespace still makes you enter your credit card. Um, And even though it's free, some people still may not like to do that. So we'll put a link to his website in there. Um, And he said you can also drop him a note through his website and let him know that you heard about it through the show. And he'll be happy to try to take care of you. So um, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much for doing that. Yes, excellent. Um, quick entry notes on the Mac. I had been bemoaning that I want Greg Pierce to make um, the uh, drafts app for OS X. And, and let's be clear, we still do. 
This does yeah, not course. get him off the hook. <laughs> of course. Uh, in the meantime, um, uh, Dave, our listener David has assigned uh, a key co- keyboard combination control shift space bar to Evernote's quick note feature. So if you're an Evernote user, he does that. It opens a quick note in Evernote and that, in essence, gives him the ability to quickly capture text. And what he wants to do is have a way to have a tech field, write anything down that comes to mind, and then push uh, command enter, and it's added to his default notebook in Evernote. Um, I keep um, Byword. You know, Byword is kind of like my text capture tool. It's my proxy uh, drafts application. And I keep it running all day, and I it's it's just one file, and I dictate into it with Dragon or with Mac OS ten dictation. I type into it. It's just a place I put text down uh, when someone calls me, and I don't have a um, a text file already open for that person. I don't want to fiddle with trying to get it taken care of. I write notes down in there, and then every day my assignment by the end of the day is to empty out that text file and put the stuff where it belongs. Sometimes I even write down OmniFocus tasks and things like that in there as well. So the way I handle it is just keep a running text file. How about you, Katie? Do you do something to handle that problem? I do it with the quick entry and OmniFocus. So yeah. if I'm if I'm talking with somebody on the phone and I know that they're going to be action items from this phone call, um, in fact, it's control space is my quick entry and OmniFocus. And Sean Blanc has a has an Oopsie Focus script. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I remember. I forget. I for, I, I'm familiar with it, but I've forgotten about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But so OmniFocus has this quick entry um, widget. What what do you call it? This quick entry box that pops up. I call it a tool. Yeah, quick yeah. entry tool. Yeah. So if OmniFocus is closed, it, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And But if OmniFocus is open, you can hit whatever keyboard command you've assigned. And in my, my instance, it's control space. And it will open up a quick entry dialog box that will allow you to very quickly enter tasks into OmniFocus. And so my mine is control space because, you know, command space is uh, is launch bar and option space is spotlight. So the only one that's left easy is control space. And so if I'm on the phone with someone, I'll just hit control space and then enter a quick action item with OmniFocus. And sometimes I don't even assign, you know, projects or completion dates or whatever. I'll just type notes into that and add it to my inbox, and then I'll process that at the end of the day as I process my inbox. But I think there's a lot of merit to your solution as well. well I mean, oh, the, oh the, I was going to tell you what Oopsie Focus does. I'm sorry. What Oopsie Focus does is um, in order for that quick entry box to work, OmniFocus has to be open. So if what I've done is I've set a keyboard maestro macro to control space. So if control, what control space does now is it fires off a keyboard maestro macro that if OmniFocus is open, it does nothing. It just passes that through to, to OmniFocus. But if OmniFocus is not open, if somehow it's been closed, then it will open OmniFocus and then pass that through to OmniFocus to launch the, um, the quick entry box. Yeah. And the, the one advantage of mine is it's not just for tasks. In fact, I often use the quick entry tool as well, but the, um, like the the biggest scenario for me is I'm going to be on the phone with somebody and I'll be firing off like the first thing I do is I do the text expander date and time string code. So it puts in the date and time as soon as I pick up the phone or, or answer the phone or call somebody. So I have the time coded and then I just make some bullet points or some discussion points and then I save it. I have a note for every major thing I'm working on. And then part of that is a com log. And I just I just at the end of the day, I copy and paste those in there. So when I want to go back in three months and say, well, wait, didn't we talk about this? And then I'll go back and look and I have the notes. It's very intimidating for other people when you tell them what day they said something. 
Uh, Linda wrote in, we had talked about the iPad Pro as an input device for the Mac. And I was thinking, wouldn't that be great? I got so many emails about this. I didn't realize there is an application already doing that. <laughs> uh, the app is called, uh, and I just downloaded Astropad. Astropad, but I haven't had time to play with it yet. But um, Astropad, I'm definitely getting an iPad Pro, Katie. So oh. you can make fun of me. You can moan, but it's it's coming to the Mac Power users. And uh, I'll tell you about that when it happens. In fact, well, it'll be available for pre-order when I see you. So I'll, yeah, would that be funny? Maybe you'll have to drive me to the Apple Store so you can you can just that's you can right. Frown at I will me. I will have a you car and you the, won't. You can look give me the look as I pull my credit card. Out. I'll be like, excuse me, everyone, we have to leave the conference now because David has to go order his iPad Actually, Pro. At, at that conference, I am guessing there will be several people leaving. <laughs> if anybody uh, wants to come with, I think that might irritate Victor a little bit if we like take the entire conference away. Yeah, we just go one evening. We just go and we have drinks and then go spend money. Why not? Yeah. Anyway, uh, getting back to Linda. So she uh, Astropad is an application. She says it works really well with the iPad 2 and a Jot Touch. And she says it's going to work even better with the iPad Pro and the Pencil. And she can't wait to try them together. So uh, that's nice to know. I'm going to be checking that out. All right. Well, I want to, we've got still more to talk about. These are jam-packed MPU live shows. But before we do, I want to talk about a returning sponsor to Mac Power users, and that is our pals over at Ting. Ting is a mobile phone service that is here to save you money. Yes, seriously. Uh, Ting is, is an alternative carrier, and their primary goal is to help you save on what you pay for cell phone service. The folks behind Ting are the same folks behind Hover, and so I just love them to death. They believe that you should be able to pay a fair price for the service that you actually use. What a concept is that? You pay for what you use, not for this big bucket of stuff that you may or may not actually use. You use what you pay for what you use and only what you use. So if you go over to macpowerusers.ting.com, you can get an idea of how much you would be saving with Ting. And if you decide to sign up, you'll also get a $25 off your first device or a $25 credit for your Ting service. So what Ting is, is a Ting is a U.S. mobile carrier on two nationwide networks. They use both CDMA and GSM. Now that's new. They didn't have GSM before. And there are no contracts no overage fees, and no need for those really limited, unlimited plans. Uh, Ting is the first provider to allow you to have multiple devices on different network types, all under the same contract. So 80% of the phones made in the last year can be brought over to Ting. So there's a strong chance that if you're listening to the show, you've got a device that's going to work no problem. And Ting even has a tool on their site that will allow you to check to make sure that your phone is going to work with them. Uh, the average person who switches to Ting, their cell phone bill on Ting, guess what? $23 a month. All you have to do is pay for what you actually use. And if you lose, use less, you pay less. You can keep track of what you're using with Ting's online account tool. If you're already stuck in a contract, well, Ting's going to offer to give you up to 25% of your early termination fee and credit if you switch over, up to $75 per device per year. Or, uh, up to $75 per device, sorry. Uh, with Ting, it's all about simplicity. You pay $6 per device per month to access their network, and then you just pay for what you use. It's great for families, so you can pool all of your usage into one account for multiple devices. And if you don't believe that you're really going to be adding, uh, saving money, go over to their uh, website. You can use their calculator and see just how much you're going to save. So to get started, head over to macpowerusers.ting.com. You can make sure that you're eligible to switch. You can take a look at their various phones. You can see if you can bring your phone over with you. 
Once you've decided, Ting's going to help walk you through getting set up, including switching over your existing number if you decide that you want to do that. And then Ting's going to help you get set up with your device. They're going to break down your usage by minutes, by messages, by megabytes, and figure out exactly what you need. It's really easy. So remember, if you head over and you use the the offer over at MacPowerUsers.Ting.com, you'll save $25 off select devices. Or if you bring your own device over, you can get $25 in Ting credit. So thanks so much to Ting for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. We had some other listener workflows and tips come in that were really good this month, Um, starting with Mike. And actually, Mike and a few others wrote in about this. Uh, We had made reference to the idea on one of the shows in the past month that wouldn't it be nice if we had Touch ID on the Mac? You know, I mean, wouldn't it be cool if, like, there was a button or something you could tap on the keyboard that would unlock your Mac? And uh, there's an app for that, of course, called Mac ID for iOS and Apple Watch, and it lets you use your iPhone to unlock or wake up your laptop and desktop. It logs you in. I have been, uh, Mike has been using it since uh, early 2015, and he says there's an OS X app of the same name, so you need to install it on your Mac to make it work. I used to use one called Knock, where if my phone was nearby and I just knocked on it, it would unlock my Mac because it would just say, okay, if it's Dave's phone's nearby, then, then it's probably okay to unlock. Uh, since I'm at home now, I don't use that. I just leave it, leave it running. Wait, you leave your phone unlocked? No, you don't. No, my, my Mac. I mean. Mm. Not very secure <laughs> over there, are you? Uh, I love that. Uh-huh. <laughs> that noise you make, Katie. I think I'm going to add that to my, that's going to be my new text sound for Katie. <laughs> I'm going to grab your, your, your phone and your Mac at my look fest and just see how much damage I not, can do. Well, well, not my laptop, but the iMac on my desk. I just keep that open all day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so we heard from audio, an audio comment from Josh about creating your own dark mode. Hi, Katie and David. It's Josh from North Carolina. I'm actually jumping out of a plane right now at 10,000 feet while recording this, but thanks to some incredibly good sound isolation software, you guys can't hear the wind. In regards to iOS, sometimes a sea of white is a definite strain on the eyes, and apps that have a dark mode are definitely welcome, such as Spotify, Activity, and the Apple Watch app. Not every app has a dark mode, though. However, with a small hack, the device itself can have a dark mode. In Settings, General, Accessibility, and Accessibility Shortcut at the very bottom of the screen, it allows you to choose Invert Colors. Enabling this feature allows for the colors to be inverted by triple-clicking the home button. This feature is very nice to have when you need to use your phones in low-light situations or whenever you just don't want the white backgrounds. In theory, this would also save on battery life as the phone would not have to spend excess juice lighting up all the pixels. And since Halloween is right around the corner, it definitely gives every face in your phone that nice Halloween look. I know most of the Mac Power users community knows about this trick, but even if one person doesn't, I hope it was able to help someone. Thanks so much for the show. I appreciate everything you guys do. You know, I used to use this trick when they first started doing driving directions because uh, they didn't have a dark mode for driving directions. Now the on Apple Maps, if it's if it's nighttime or dark out, your phone displays the map darkly. But when they first released it, the map was fully lit up like in daylight, you know, with a white background, which kills your night vision. So you, it, the, it was unusable at night when they first released it. And uh, I would triple tap the uh, home button using Josh's trick, and then it would flip the color so I could actually use driving directions at night. Uh, I guess it would have been easier just to use Google Maps. <laughs> but yeah. Probably. Anyway. Um, oh, the, just, uh, just FYI, Apple Maps last year will not get you to the hotel at Milo Fest. Oh, it won't? No. Well, I, I don't need to. I, I will already be there. Oh, I'm okay. staying there. Okay. 
I guess once you're going to take a Once again, Katie, my commute will be shorter. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, in theory, I guess if you take out the five hour flight. Um, uh, anyway, um, so thanks, Josh, for that. Uh, Rory wrote in about adding tags to Notes app, and he had a, a good bit of advice. In fact, I'd known about this and just for some reason didn't put it in whenever we discussed it. So he switched over from Evernote uh, for reasons that I would understand, he says, because he doesn't want to be dealing with Evernote. And the way he's adding tags is using the hash the hashtag, you know, um, uh, so the, what is it, the shift three uh, hash mm-hmm. and then he puts a tag next to it and then you can search that and because it's got the hash next to it it's only going to find tags the only thing i would do with that is instead of using the hash i would use the at symbol or something other than the hashtag because that is used so much anymore with twitter and other things that may uh, cause some kind of problem like when you start searching um, well and you may also want to try to use something that's on the first screen of the ios keyboard too yeah. I mean, you could you could use like just the X key, really. I mean, you're never going to have the word X, X you know, work, whatever. And um, so, you know, give some thought to what you want to use, but just using a unique character and just put those at the bottom. You can search the, you know, the tags and air quotes that way. So how has your transition to notes been? Well, you, I mean, have I, you, you know, done I, have, yet? I have not committed. I mean, we had Brett on recently. I know Brett is in the works of making something that's going to be really cool. Um, I I have um, been putting stuff in there as needs, and this is very time consuming. So I'm only doing it as needs, but I've got now about 300 notes in there and it's, it's working fine. I mean, there's no problems with it. It is formatted text though. And there, there's some things I don't like about it. The text size on the Mac for me, uh, is really unforgivable. Uh, how do you set the default text size so small? I mean, I've got this 27-inch screen, and I have to squint my eyes to read the notes and their default text size. Now, you can raise it up. Like, if you select the entire thing and hit Command plus sign, you can make it bigger. But that's only for that particular note. It's not for all of them. There should be a setting in there that lets you set the default text size to something other than what feels like 10 points or, or smaller. Whoever set that up is a young guy, I'm sure, or or lady. We also um, had a comment, speaking on the topic of notes, uh, Zach called in to talk about OneNote. Hi, Katie and David. I wanted to plug OneNote a little bit. Microsoft OneNote comes with the Microsoft Office package, which includes Word and PowerPoint. I'm not a huge fan of Word and PowerPoint, but OneNote's actually pretty good. It is sort of like Evernote in that it accepts almost anything you throw at it, whether it's PDFs or Word documents or text or basically anything. You arrange your OneNote notebook um, into tabs and pages, and it kind of resembles just a physical notebook. Recently, Microsoft has made really good progress on both their Mac and iOS apps, and it's always been good on Windows and the like. But I think the most important feature for people listening to this show is the fact that it is included in the regular Microsoft Office package. Listeners like me at work are stuck using a Windows PC. Also like me, that PC is usually locked down. You can't download your own apps or anything like that. While there are very few actual apps on the Windows PC, there is Microsoft Office and therefore there is Microsoft OneNote. So sort of out of necessity, I gave it a try and it's actually worked out really good. I really like OneNote a lot and I'm also using it some in my personal life on my Mac and my iOS devices. 
So for those looking for a new take on notes, I'd suggest giving OneNote a try. It's free. Yeah, so after Zach sent this in, I finally went in and started fiddling around with OneNote. And it, it's good on the Mac. And it's really good on iOS. I mean, it, it is a contender. Uh, that being said, I, I am not using it because I've got stuff invested in, in other places, but it's an option. And if you are a person who has um, a Windows computer at work and you want that cross-platform compatibility, that is a real, I mean, that's a real compelling reason to use OneNote. And it doesn't suck. I mean, I, I always felt like OneNote was one of the best applications Microsoft ever made. Uh, I, I fiddled around with a um, a Microsoft tablet computer back when they were two inches thick and like 10 pounds and, you know. <laughs> had a power supply <laughs> and uh and OneNote was created for that it was to me it was the best case for tablet computing when it first premiered so i'm glad uh, apple i'm sorry microsoft is continuing to develop it but i think the um the microsoft team developing ios apps is really seems like they're on the ball as of late uh, more so than the mac team uh, we had a thing in from twitter uh, clark wrote in he says his macbook air battery is down to 75 percent so should I replace? You know, just a quick question for us to ask MPU. Um, you know, and- I, I guess it depends would be my advice. I had a MacBook Air battery that was down past 80%. I, it was fluctuating and they do tend to fluctuate quite a bit. You know, you may be able to use an app like Fruit Juice to get some of that back, but I, I doubt you're going to recover significantly from 75%. And I guess there are a couple of factors that that you should question as to whether or not you should replace. You know, the first thing I would look at is how old is the MacBook Air and how likely are you to continue using it over the next couple of years? You know, is, is this a computer that really only has a year or so of life left in it and you're probably going to upgrade if so I, I may not put the money into a battery replacement if it's a if it's a machine that you're going to look at keeping for a much longer period of time then i probably would you know if you have apple care on the machine apple has certain guidelines for the battery and if your your machine is still covered it's probably worth opening a ticket with them and calling because i think 80 percent is the magic number for Apple Care um, to see if Apple Care will replace your battery, they do it based on the percentage of the battery and based on how many cycles the battery has and a, and a couple of things. But they are going to want to know, you know, has the has the battery been been used and has it been exercised well and things like that. So I, I think the battery replacements, because I looked at this for my computer, they're somewhere in the range of about one hundred and thirty dollars is what a, a battery replacement from Apple is going to cost you. I, I don't. It is not recommended that this is something that you do yourself because of the way that the battery is sealed and kind of how volatile the battery is. So I don't know that I would recommend doing it yourself. I know people who have, but um, don't know that that's something you should look at. And then I guess the other question I would look at is, you know, how often is this creating a problem with you? Is this a machine that you want to use out and about more, but you're not able to because your battery is dying in an, in an hour or two? If it's not really creating a problem you know, then I probably would, would lean towards not replacing it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really the gating issue is if you're finding that you're out, out and about and it's not working because the battery's dying too fast, then you probably should replace it. Um, one thing I'd be conscious of when they start getting low is they, some of the uh, laptops have issues with battery swelling and that happens when the battery starts to go and, and the battery physically swells inside the case and all of a sudden it gets harder to click the trackpad and it does some, it could do some damage to the inside of the computer. So once your battery health gets, starts going down, be very conscious of battery swelling to make sure that, you know, it's not damaging your computer. And, and to answer Katie's question, I was looking at, my wife has, I think it's a four year old 13 inch MacBook pro 
and I was considering replacing the battery myself and I looked on iFixit and there was 36 steps to replace the battery and it involved like heating something in the microwave because these things are all glued in and you know it's just not like it used to be so uh, if you've got one of the modern Macs replacing the battery I probably would just take it in and pay somebody to do it uh, we, we had a couple questions from people saying it's been a while um, are you guys wearing your Apple watches still? Katie, I'm wearing mine every day, every day. Uh, first thing I put on in the morning, last thing I take off at night. Uh, I've, I'm alternating between the uh, the Sportman, the Black Band, and the yeah. Melanese Loop. I, I will tell you from a comfort standpoint, I do like the Black Band. So if I'm, um, you know, hanging out at home, if it's a weekend, I tend to wear the Black Band. If I'm meeting with clients or going to court, I'll put the Melanese Loop on. But uh, my my use of the Apple Watch really hasn't changed much from from when we did our original show. I'm I'm still pretty limited in the number of apps that I use. I haven't really seen a drastic difference in my use of the Apple Watch when with iOS 2.0. Yeah. Um, what the about you? Apps, the the apps work better. I mean, definitely they work better, and that's nice. Um, the, uh, I don't use that many apps. Like I use the OmniFocus app. I use the overcast app to listen to podcasts. Um, but I don't use that many, but I do really like the watch. I love having notifications on my wrist. Like you, I put it on the first thing in the morning. Like I quite often in the morning, I kind of do work around the house and I always want to make sure I got it. I've got it on. So I get my steps in, you know, <laughs> and, um, I, I really like it. Um, the, I have transitioned. I, I, I switch now between the utility face and I'm not sure what you call it. The face, the basically the digital face with all the different, um, that you can put. Yeah, all did the you do that because the, the colored rings bothered you so much? No, that, that I know that's kind of a nerd thing where everybody's upset that the, that the utility face lost some of the monochrome look and they're colored. None of that stuff bothers me. It's easier for me to tell now. Uh, maybe that's one again, the old guy's eyeballs, but I can now see the red ring versus, you know, the other colored rings. So that doesn't bother me at all, but because I have more complicated, like the OmniFocus complication, sometimes I want to have that and I'll use the, uh, the digital face for that, but I really like it. Uh, I, I have only got the one strap which, you know, I have the, uh, the was it they call Darth Vader on a budget. It's the aluminum black one with the black strap. I know they came out with red and orange straps, and those look kind of nice, but I haven't been able to bring myself to spend money on it. Uh, Nomad has a cool leather strap that they, on their marketing, they, they list it with a black watch. And I may put that on my Christmas list. Maybe that's something Daisy could get me. But the um, Yeah, we, we are starting to see a lot more uh, third-party yeah. straps come out now. Yeah, the, the operating system itself is fine. Um the uh the applications you know i don't use that many of them but the ones i have i like um i do look to see like if something's red and omnifocus i'll check it on my wrist and uh, so it's all good i i it, like we said when we did the show it's not a earth changing device but it's really convenient if you're invested in the apple apple ecosystem i mean so many times i we were at a my daughter had a recital a couple of weeks ago and um, my phone kept buzzing in my pocket and, you know, my wrist was tapping and, and I finally looked down and scrolled and it was a client that was dealing with a crisis and I was able to leave the room without, you know, pulling my phone out and being that guy. So I, I don't know. I just think it's really useful. I, I don't think they necessarily need a new one every year or anything. It's, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens in the next year, but 
I don't regret purchasing it. Let's just put it that way. No, absolutely. I, I love the Apple Watch. And uh, I, if it broke, I would order a new one tomorrow. But yet I don't, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what version two looks like. I don't know that there's a whole lot more I would want from it right now. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, we have a lot the of other questions. Thing is, yeah. Ahead. I was going to say we've had a lot of people ask you about family sharing feedback. Yeah, you know, I think we're going to put that into the December show because we're already okay. in pretty deep and we've got more to cover. Um, so and I want to spend a little bit more time prepping that. But but I'm going to have an update on family sharing. And what I'd like to do is call out to the listeners. Um, I don't want it to be just my experience. If I'm sure there's a lot of people using family sharing that at Apple Music is live. Uh, let me know good, bad and ugly uh, experiences with family sharing in the last, you know, and get that to me in the next you know few weeks so I can put that in the outline for the next show. Um, I do want to talk about tech we're playing with and some other things, but before we do that, let's take a minute to talk about our last, our last sponsor. And that's our friends over at the Omni group. And, uh, I wanted to talk today a little bit about OmniFocus. There's been some developments in the OmniFocus world. Uh, if you're an OmniFocus user, uh, one of the things that happened when they came out with version two of OmniFocus, uh, for the Mac is they, they found a new way to display the task data, which is much cleaner. I really prefer the new method, frankly. But there were some people that said, hey, I like the old method where it was just a, you know, single line with all the data fields across it. And I could, you know, pick and select the data fields and display it in a more compact form. Well, guess what? You got that. So with version 2.3 of OmniFocus for the Mac, you now have the ability to set custom layouts and columns. Have you tried this yet, Katie? You know, I don't think I have. Oh, you got to try it. So like my clear perspective is when I've implemented it, because I just want to see a lot of data on the screen. Uh, you go in to the OmniFocus and in the perspectives view, uh, you can pick a custom column layout for each one of your perspectives. So whatever you pick, it'll just show it that way. It looks really great. And just OmniFocus in general is just an application that just keeps growing and evolving. A, a friend of the show who shall remain nameless, but is a very busy guy, uh, just recently contacted me and said, you know, I've been trying out the other applications and I've I've never done OmniFocus because I felt like it was going to be, you know, too much of an investment for me. And now I can't imagine life without it. So if you're out there and you're struggling to keep up with all the projects and tasks, you know, why not give yourself a big boy tool to solve that problem. Uh, I know that in my life, the the only way I can get by with the the podcast and the and the publishing and the law practice and the dad and all the other things I do is having a good way to track and know these tasks get handled. And when I set something up and it's going to show up in two weeks and tell me that I have to resolve it within two days, I feel safe in my knowledge that I will do that because I have a system that works for me. And OmniFocus is that. Uh, please go check it out if you haven't tried it yet and you're having these kinds of problems because it isn't as hard as you might think. They've done so much work on this application over the last few years to keep the power, but also make that on-ramp a lot easier to get on. If you go over to the website, they've got tutorials and videos. I've got a video. You can go to my website. You can check that out. Um, they've got a whole website about learning OmniFocus where they have stories from people who show uh, concrete examples of how they do it. Um, this just is not as hard as you might think it is. And it makes such a difference in your life. Uh, they've got the application built now for the iPhone, the iPad, the Mac, the watch, 
I know that they're working on a cool layout for the iPad Pro if you're going to be an iPad Pro person. And, you know, it's just a very powerful way to manage the thing that's the hardest for all of us, keeping track of all those tasks. Not only does it do that well for you, it gives you that peace of mind. Once you know this stuff is handled, it makes it so much easier uh, to, you know, to to make exceptions in your life. Today's a good example. We go, uh, before we started the show, I found out that some of my family's in town and we're going to have them over. I just went in OmniFocus. I took like two thirds of the tasks I had assigned for today. I was able to look at them and know that these are not things that, you know, the world is going to burn down if I put it off. And I just moved the start date out to those to tomorrow. And now I'm going to be, since we get the show done, I'll finish the other one third tasks that I kept. And when the family shows up, I will have a clear conscience and be able to move on with the day. And and that's the kind of uh, benefit you get from something like this. So I'm not going to prattle on about it forever, but OmniFocus really can make a difference in your life. Uh, go check it out. Great sponsor, a really hardworking team over there at the Omni Group making an amazing application. So thanks to the Omni Group. Uh, Katie, uh, one of my favorite parts of these live shows is talking about stuff that we have bought recently. And I actually have a queue now because there's a couple things I want to talk about. But uh, oh, I, think, I, I think the um, I think the first one of them I'm going to show you, but I'm going to save it for next month. So there's a little uh, teaser there. But one of them I'm going to show you and it's another one where you're going to shake your head at me, but I really like it. But uh, either way, uh, what I want to talk about, because it seems very timely, is the new keyboard and trackpad for the for the iMac. Uh, now, it doesn't make sense when when they come out with a new magic keyboard and trackpad to go buy them, because the next time you buy an iMac, you're going to get those things anyway. But of course I went and bought them and, um, and I really like them. So, and I feel like they've got kind of a bad rap in the, in the general press. A lot of people are unhappy with them. Uh, so let me just give my, my brief uh, description. The, the new keyboard is, is much thinner than the old one and it doesn't have batteries in it. Instead it charges with a lightning cable. So if you've got a lightning cable to plug into your iPhone, you can just plug it into this keyboard and charge it. I've had it now, um, I guess three weeks and I'm at, um, 52% charge. So it's not using up a lot of charge. And when I need to recharge it, I just plug it in overnight. Uh, the key travel in them is somewhere between the MacBook, you know, which is a lot of people complain too small, the new MacBook and the old keyboard. It's definitely less travel than before, but it, it's fine. I think the typing on it is fine. We talked about this a little bit with Brett Terpstra. He doesn't like the arrow keys. I'm okay with the arrow keys. So in general, it's a nice keyboard. It looks good. It's for people that like those low travel keyboards. If you're a clickety-clack keyboard person, don't go there. It's not going to work for you. But I find that I prefer the low travel. But what I really want to talk about is the Magic Trackpad too. The new Magic Trackpad brought Force Touch to the Mac, and I bought I bought one. I wasn't happy with Force Touch because it felt to me like on the Mac there wasn't really anything to do with it. I mean, when you think about it on the Mac, we have the right click, we have the double tap, we have the triple tap now. You know, like when you triple tap a word to get a definition, it's like how many more things do you need to do with a mouse? So we added Force Touch, and it seems like Apple doesn't even know because if you look at the the Force Touch features, none of them are really that that super. Um, but what really makes the the Magic Trackpad 2 sing for me is Better Touch Tool, which is a application we talked about a little bit with Brett again. It's something that comes up on the show on occasion. But man, get yourself Better Touch Tool if you've got one of these new Magic Trackpads and customize your own um, features for it. And I'm still playing with them. Like 
Um, one of the things I do is I force touch on the lower right corner to make a window optimized to the right or the lower left corner to optimize to the left. I've got them to turn off and on the drag and dictate microphone. I've got them to put my computer to sleep. And I've just got a whole bunch of things now I can do with my fingers on my trackpad. And um, I know you're, you're a mouse person, so none of that probably matters to you. But uh, I really like it. Cool. Well, I also made a purchase this uh, this month. You know, on the last show, we were talking about my um, exploration of the iPad Air 2. And I was tempted to go with a larger iPad, especially with some of the, you know, split screen support and things like that. I was I was wondering if, if maybe a bigger iPad was the way to go. And um, I actually picked up an iPad Air 2 and, and was playing with that. But I, I still found myself reaching back for my iPad Mini 2 when it came time to take it somewhere or when it came time to throw it in my purse or, you know, I, I was using the iPad Air around the house, but I just, I kept reaching for that iPad Mini 2. And, you know, what it, it really came down to is when I made the switch from the original iPad, at that point it was the the third generation with Retina Display iPad, to the iPad Mini, there there was no hesitation. It was immediate. the The day that I got the iPad Mini, I knew instantaneously that that was the right decision for me, and I never for a minute wished that I had a larger screen. But when I went from the iPad Mini to the iPad Air two, it and I used it for about a month. It was a month of me saying, okay, I'll, I'll get used to this. I'll get used to this. It, you know, it just, it just takes a little more time. And I realized that I just, I wasn't quite getting used to it and it was fine. Don't get me wrong. There was nothing wrong with it, but it just, it wasn't my preferred iPad experience. So I took the iPad Air 2 that was practically new and I took the iPad mini 2 and I, I sold them both and um, got myself a new iPad mini 4 and have just been as happy as can be. Good. Except for the did whole you, case situation. Yeah. So did you did you find a resolution to your case? No. I have found a temporary resolution to my case. Um, you know, I really liked the uh, the Apple uh, leather case, which has the front and back support, but Apple doesn't make that anymore. So instead, to get the Apple case experience, you have to buy like this this weird back and a smart cover, and it's like a hundred dollars. So I went on Amazon and I found a $7 case. It's a knockoff, $7 knockoff of the smart cover. It's certainly not leather. It's like a neoprene something. But you know what? It's fine. If you looked at it in the leather case from, you know, a couple of feet away, you wouldn't be able to tell. It certainly doesn't feel as nice as the leather case, but it's it's basically my my wait and see case. I think part of it is just like if you carry a purse or a bag every day and the iPad mini fits in it, that's a really good argument for having an iPad mini. I mean, you carry it in your it, purse, right? I do. And not every day, but many days, several days a week, I'll throw my iPad. You know, it depends on what I'm doing that day, but several yeah. days a week, I'll throw my iPad mini in my case. That's my wife and my oldest daughter both have iPad minis and they love them and are not interested in a bigger one. Um, if you're carrying a bigger the, one. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, if you're carrying a bigger, if you get, if you need a bigger one that doesn't fit in a purse, then you know that's a that's me. That's kind of a different scenario. But one of the things for me is I spend so much time reading uh, on the iPad, and also I play that's my sheet music machine as well. I could not do that on an iPad Mini. I just the text would be too small for me. Do you do, do much? Glasses. Do you much? Do you do better? Do you do a lot of like PDF stuff on your iPad? You know, I admittedly probably don't do as much as I would if I had the bigger one back again. But, yeah. 
it's it's not as big of a detriment. It's for everyday things. It's fine. It's fine for Twitter. It's fine for Safari. It's fine for movies. You know, when I take it on a plane, it's fine on a tray table. It's not as big as a full size iPad, but it's it's fine. And you know what? It's I prefer it for reading. I prefer it for reading books on on an iPad Mini because it's so much more comfortable to hold. Yeah, for PDFs. Yeah, for PDFs, having a bigger one might be nice, but it's it's not that one feature does does not over over outweigh all of the others that having the smaller iPad it does. Okay, that well, makes sense. So. Well, I'm glad that the national crisis is over, and uh, it you is. Got and and touch, a new iPad Mini. I got to say, touch touch ID from a day to day use perspective, because I'm not a super heavy power user of an iPad. You know, I don't play games. And by that, I mean taxing the processor. I don't do anything that really taxes the processor of the iPad. So from a processing standpoint, the iPad mini 2 versus the iPad mini 4 doesn't make a whole lot of a difference to me. But having Touch ID and split screen support on the iPad mini 4 is really nice. Yeah, see, I have the iPad Air 1, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to having something with Touch ID. I still, to this day, put my thumb on the button expecting it to unlock sometimes because, <laughs> you know, I'm so used well, to it on the phone. It's not just unlocking the screen. It's it's one password support. Right? Yeah, I was, that too. Every time I type in the one password thing, I think about it. Okay, well, I think that next month I will probably have something much larger to talk about as a pick. Yes, and, and I may be driving you to the Apple store to go get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> yeah. It would be kind of That'd fun. Be quite actually. an experience. Anyway, um, so that's the uh, that's the tech we're playing with this month, everybody. Uh, thank you again for hanging in there with us for another live show. Um, we would like to hear from you as we prepare for next month's show. Uh, as I said earlier, we're going to be talking about family sharing. We're going to be talking about some of these other subjects. So if you've got some ideas, send them in. Uh, send an audio pitch to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You can use a little recorder app on your phone. It looks great. Please keep the recording under two minutes if you can. And... Um, and uh, we'll see you next month. This is an exception. The, the live show is going to be on December 1st. But after that, it'll be back to the first Saturday of every month. And uh, thanks to our sponsors today, Braintree, Fujitsu, Ting, and the Omni Group. And what did I miss, Katie? Oh, feedback. If you have any feedback, uh, get back with us on Twitter. We are at Mac Power Users. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Mac Sparky. And you can also unless we find we just like it better on a weekend, you never know a weekday. Yeah, you never know. That's right. <laughs> and you can send us an email also as well to feedback at macpowerusers.com. Thanks again, everybody. We will see you in a couple days with the next show, and uh, it's going to be all about the Apple TV. We're looking forward to that one. And you know what? We'll see you in Orlando in a couple days. Yeah, if you're out in Orlando, please come by. All right, take care, everybody. See you soon. Bye.